0: Let me just tell you a little bit about me so you know why I'm here and why I do what I do. I live just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, My husband and I have eight children and six grandchildren. And in 1995, I was a patient in a mental hospital. So welcome to your afternoon session. So that's my story. And I hope you won't think I'm too flip about mental illness. But if you do, I would say, especially on this really important, heartfelt episode, that's my story. That's how I share it, and that's the story that brings me to you today. So welcome, friends, to Consider Yourself Hugged, episode 18, today's hug, because we all have to be perfect. I am Dr. Tammy West, here every week to bring you tips on living a life that brings you mental and emotional well-being. I hope you had a wonderful Memorial Day and were able to honor those who have given their lives so that we could have the freedom to live our lives. So there's an ad I wrote about in my dissertation on stress, and I share the ad in my sessions on stress and other sessions where I talk about identity. You may have heard it before. You'll see it. The ad is actually in the show notes. It's a magazine ad. But here's the description. It's this beautiful actress woman. She looks very happy and peaceful. And the text says, we all have to do 10 things at once perfectly. Ug, double ug, triple ug, perfectionism. The ultimate deception that put me in the mental hospital. Now, this ad is is for makeup because apparently we we will live in a world where we have to be perfect for everybody. We'll do the ten things at once, but we can look really beautiful and perfect while we're doing those things. So, if you're anything like me, or I'd like to think, I'd like to think it's like I was, um, not how I am. But perfectionism has always been one of my monsters. And I still have to keep it out from under my bed. Now, I don't think that I've talked about monsters before on the podcast, but my first book was titled Life Without the Monsters. So if I have, it's kind of cool to me that on episode 18, I'm starting to forget a little bit of what I've said before. But if you haven't heard me describe monsters, let me go ahead and do that for you. So here it goes. Um, You might know sometimes when, if you've ever had small children, or you've watched babysat small children, or quite honestly, maybe you were a small child, um, when you put a small child to bed, sometimes they come running out and they're afraid of the monsters under the bed. But the monsters aren't real, except in their minds. And to them, they're really real in their minds. So what I propose is, as adults, we still have monsters And I define them as self-imposed barriers that keep us from growing. So it's anything that we put on ourselves. And we have plenty of things in our world that happen to us and around us that we have no control over. Sometimes we impose things on ourselves. Okay, but with this thing with perfectionism, so again, if you're anything like I used to be, and I, I probably do still struggle, I would actually walk around saying, well, yeah, I'm a perfectionist. That's just the way I am. And I may not say it out loud, but I certainly would think it. And stop and think about that for just a minute. What what would you like for people to say in response to what you're saying? right? Maybe you want them to think that you're strong or you're hardworking or you're dedicated or you're important, or maybe you don't even really know what you want them to think. In fact, I'm guessing you don't know what you want them to think. But if you stop and and put some thought into it, there's got to be some goal to saying that that you've never thought about before. So maybe maybe you're actually thinking, well, I don't really know if I'm a perfectionist. What does that really mean? I think most of us think of a perfectionist as someone who needs to have the perfect house or have the perfect project done at work. That's only one part of perfectionism. So I have a list of questions. I will put an activity sheet in the show notes. You can print it out if you want to. You can look at it later. Um, Of course, if you're driving, don't try to write while you're driving. So you can come back and look at it later. But here are a few questions to ask yourself to know, well, am I possibly a perfectionist? Number one, do you have trouble starting a project because you fear you just won't do it right? Project can mean around the house or at work. Number two, do you have trouble finishing a project because it's never just right? number 3 do you feel panicked and do you feel this adrenaline rush when you realize you've made a mistake i've addressed that one before in a previous podcast i'm pretty sure number 4 do you obsess about mistakes searching for a way that maybe you didn't make it number 5 do you cover up mistakes now i listen i know that your initial reaction to that is probably be like well no that's just a complete that that would make me a liar but really take a minute. By cover up, I don't mean maliciously. I just mean deny or try to get rid of. Number six, do you strive to meet others' expectations even if they don't meet your own? And number seven, do you obsess about any criticism no matter how, how small? So if you recognize yourself in any of these questions, if you see patterns, then perfectionism might be one of your monsters. So as we start to talk about what perfectionism is, why we experience it, and what we can do about it, um, I want to share with you some personal experiences where I had some very different reactions to things in my life. And I'm sharing them because I reacted differently to each. And I think I'm going to have a point to make. We'll get there. I'm sure that I will. So the first one happened when I had a party in my house. And this has been years ago, probably maybe 15 years ago. And shortly before the party, we had had our cabinets painted. So we're getting ready to start the party. And, and all of there were a bunch of women in my kitchen. And some of my friends were there. And one of them had to climb up um, on a ladder and get something out of like way high up on the cabinet. And she noticed that the tops of the cabinets weren't painted. And so she said, well, why aren't the tops of, of the cabinets painted? And somebody else said, well, you never see the tops of the cabinets, so it doesn't really matter. And this first person said, well, what about when you get up there to dust? And another woman in the room said, oh, trust me, they don't dust around here. Now, if you're anything like me or anybody else I've told this story, you're like, "Ah." so what was my reaction to that? Well, I was upset, but I was upset for the person saying it. Let me go on to the second story and then we'll come back and wrap everything up. And the second story, again, this has been years ago. Um, this is These things happened. I think, during the time when I was really learning to get past perfectionism. But the pastor of my church at the time asked if I would come speak to the church about anxiety. And I was so excited because that's what I really love to do is speak about anxiety, but I don't get to do it in church very often. So I'm super excited. And I was like, yes, 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 I'd love to. So about a week later, my husband and I went to Vegas. That's when um, they they had the theater for Phantom of the Opera. And it was our Christmas present to each other. And we were thrilled. We just couldn't wait. So we get to the theater. We walk in. We have front row seats, actually. This was a big deal. Everything's perfect. We sit down. We have about five minutes before the show starts. And so we just were chatting. And the subject of that upcoming Wednesday night came up. And my husband said, Well, let me give you this advice. I don't remember if I asked for the advice, but, you know, he offered up the advice and he said, I have two things to tell you. He said, The first is make sure you check your scriptures, make sure you get those right. And I was thinking, okay, well, I would probably do that. And the second, he said, Remember you did a speech a few years ago and you mentioned, you you used the phrase, I am light. He says, Remember that? And I said, Yeah. He said, well, don't do that because Jesus is the light. And if you say that, if you say I am the light to those people, then they may not like it. Okay. So now listen, I have to pause. My husband, I've told this story before, but he always, he said, if you tell that story, you have to make sure people know that I'm not a clod." and he's not a clod. He's just a wonderful man. He was just trying to help me because I really didn't speak much in churches at that time. In fact, Never, except maybe a small thing, maybe at our Sunday school group. So in my mind, I start playing this movie. And in this movie, every person who was going to sit in that congregation was there with like huge Bibles, huge notepads, huge pens. And they were all glaring at me as if to say, we are waiting for you to mess up mess up. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She doesn't belong here. She hasn't been a Christian for as long as I have. I know so much more than she does. The next thing I knew, I turned to my husband, I looked him straight in the eye, and I said, I'm not doing it. I know my limitations, and this is too big for me. And then oh the show started and, and my poor husband spent the entire show worried that he had just ruined everything for me. That was story number two. Story number three was something that happened when I did a training, again, very similar time period, just probably a few years apart, but but these were all big experiences for me. So this was a time when I did a training with another speaker. So I used to do work for a few seminar companies, and oftentimes I would work with other trainers, usually other women, and sometimes I'd never met the women before. So that's what happened on this particular occasion. I met her at the airport. And, and I met this woman as I, I was about to speak with for a whole week, and we got along fine. Everything was going great. Well, on our second day together, we were talking, and she looked me in the eye, and she said, and I quote, now don't take this the wrong way, but sometimes the company sends me out to fix other trainers. So you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, what did you think? Were you worried? What did you do? Here's the interesting thing about this story. It didn't bother me a bit. Like here she is telling me that sometimes she goes out on the road because the seminar company wants her to fix other trainers, and she's saying that to me to my face, but it didn't bother me a bit. Three stories, three things that happened, three experiences where I could have felt less than perfect, and three experiences where I reacted differently. They taught me a really valuable lesson, perfectionism, boils down to self-esteem. I mean, think about it. Your desire to be perfect probably depends on who you're wanting to be perfect for. Who's going to see your work? Who's going to see your house? So I think about these scenarios, and in particular, the Vegas story versus the co-trainer story. My thoughts about the people in the congregation were that they were smarter than me. They knew more than me. They'd been Christians for longer than me. So my overall perception was that I just wasn't good enough to be there. Now let me go back to the other woman who was speaking with me the other trainer. The part I didn't tell you was well when we met I'm going to be completely honest my perception of her the way she carried herself and spoke and behaved the way she was the way she was dressed honestly my perception of her was not that she was better than me or a better trainer than me right? Honestly, and this is, this is what we do when we suffer with issues of low self-esteem that lead to perfectionism, my thought about her was that she was no threat. So when she said, don't take this the wrong way, but sometimes they send me out to fix people, my perception was, well, I'm not really sure that you would be sent out to fix me. Just like before, my perception of the church was they were better than me. My perception that moment, and I'm just being honest, was that I was probably better than her. So I didn't feel threatened. Okay, in the scenario about the dusty cabinets, that particular one, I didn't really care as far as how I felt about myself because I really didn't care what that person thought. It wasn't really that I thought I was better than her, or that she was better than me. I just didn't care. Even though I thought it was mean and I was pretty miffed that she said it, it didn't affect my perception of myself. So you see, when it comes to perfectionism, You probably knew this already, but I wanted you to hear the stories. It has to do with our self-esteem and comparing ourselves to other people. So take a couple of minutes to answer these questions, either on your activity sheet or just think about them. Just a few questions. Number one, how is my self-esteem? Really just describe it here. It's good. It's bad. I could work on it. Number two, I get my self-esteem from... And just make a list here. I get, it could be from your work, from being a parent. It could be from your cooking, your house, um, how you work on projects, how you manage, whatever it is. Number three, where should I get my self-esteem from? For me, it should be biblical. I should get my self-esteem from things that I've learned about what I need to, to do in my life according to what God says. Now, I expect you'll need to pause and take a few minutes to answer this one. How do you know where to get your self-esteem from? What is your self-esteem like? How can you raise it? How can you get to the point where you feel good enough about yourself that you don't have to be a perfectionist? Because let me go back to that ad. Because we all have to do 10 things at once perfectly. We are surrounded by messages like that completely surrounded by messages like that. And I want to set you free. So I have four steps I want you to do. Listen, take notes if you're sitting down, but please ingrain in these, in yourself, these four steps that I want to give you. Step number one, make a list of reasons someone would want to spend time with you. So here's what I mean. If you were to call a friend right now, they would say to themselves, Like maybe you ask them to come hang out with you. What do you think they would say? Would they say, you know, I really like spending time with Tammy. I really like hanging out with her because she's easy to talk to. Or what would they say? Some time ago, I decided I wanted my list to come from a couple verses out of the Bible. So let me read them to you and see if you might recognize them. I want my list to say that people want to spend time with me because I have love and joy, patience, gentleness, goodness, Faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. And these are called the fruits of the Spirit, and they came out of the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Now, I for sure do not exhibit these all the time, but they're my goals. So these are the things that I strive for. And because I believe your sh- self esteem should come from doing whatever it is that God put you on this planet to do, whether it's being a mom, a dad, a speaker, a uh, an employee an employer whatever it doesn't matter you know we have seasons in our lives and no matter where i am in those seasons i strive for those fruits nowhere on my list this is a really important part nowhere on my list at least not anymore does it say i want people to love me because they can eat off my floor i want people to love me because i travel all over the world i want people to love me because i have a ton of job responsibilities I want people to love me because I can do 25 things at once, even though I'm totally whacked out all the time. Now, can you get fulfillment having out of having a clean house and a nice floor? Can you get fulfillment from your job and your duties and your responsibilities? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we work or we should work to get a sense of fulfillment and we should have a sense of, of pride in taking care of our homes. The question you have to ask yourself is this. Am I doing this because I'm afraid people will think less of me if I don't? So that question takes us to step number two. Lose the word perfectionist. Don't ever say it again. Instead, so if I'm going to tell you to take it away, I better tell you what to replace it with. So replace it with, for me, and you find yours, one of the the fruits of the Spirit, or maybe the word faithful. That's a good one. So not perfectionist, but I'm faithful to my job. I am faithful to my family. I am faithful to the people in my life. Or you could use the word excellence. I am excellent at what I do. Or maybe high achieving. I'm a high achiever and I desire to be successful in the things that I do. So because remember, perfectionists, or not remember, I'm not sure I've said it before in this way, perfectionists aren't necessarily driven by the desire to do a great job. They're driven by the fear of failure. That's a whole different motivation. So don't call yourself a perfectionist. That is not a positive thing. And if you've listened to my session on identity, I think I I showed you some badges where, you know, perfectionism and perfectionist was, was one of the ribbons that people actually bought to put on their badges. No, that is not a complimentary term. So step number two, lose the word. In relation to that, step number three, don't engage in identity competitions. If someone tries to one-up you in the difficulty in their lives, and what I mean is if you're talking about all the responsibilities and things you have to do and then someone else says they have to do more and then you start to say you have to do more, as soon as you feel engaged and you start to respond in your mind, say stop, And then with your mouth, say something to that person like, gosh, that does sound difficult. Wow, you are under a lot of pressure. Do not associate your level of difficulty with your value. That will lead you more into the path of perfectionism. Step number four, sometimes be willing to accept the minimum. (gasps) Are you gasping right now? A friend of mine, long time ago, gave me an awesome piece of advice, and so I want to pass it on to you. And this is what she said. If it wasn't good enough, it wouldn't be called the minimum. Think about that for a minute. It's really profound. By very nature, the word minimum means good enough. Now, I'm not saying do your whole life minimally. Not saying that at all. But make a list of activities that you are willing to do at the minimum. Then you can put your effort into other things and go above and beyond in those. So maybe you do the minimum in some area of organization so that you can be the high achiever in another area of your life. I hesitate to give you examples because I don't want you to take anything I say as being areas that you should or shouldn't focus on. So you pick your own. And finally, step number five, plan a failure. That's what I said. Another cringing one, plan a failure. Burn dinner. Make a typo. I mean, of course, plan your failure carefully. You don't want to make a typo in a job application for a job that you really want. So plan something that's low risk. And when you've done it, when you've done the failure, say to other people, well, I am far from perfect, but I am faithful and I will fix it. In order to experience failure and know that it will be okay, it's crucial that you fail at something that's low risk and small So, you can experience the feeling and see that your whole world is not going to fall apart. So, that's what I have for you today, friends. Let's recap. To overcome this burden of perfectionism, number one, make a list of reasons someone would want to spend time with you. Number two, lose the word perfectionism. Number three, don't engage in identity competitions. And number four, plan a failure. Listen, perfectionism is not a badge of honor. I thought it was, but it's not. It is a fear-driven identity that I want you to overcome ASAP. And you can do it, I promise. And that's our time for today. I hope you learned something and you'll pass the show link along to a friend or two. You can find the show notes and get information if you'd like for me to speak at your next event at TannyWest.com. The monthly giveaway always comes from leaving comments on the blog. Still a free Consider Yourself Hugged t-shirt, which by the way, I'm changing them just a little bit and I'm adding some other products. So you'll see that soon. I would really love for those comments, uh, be um, the list that you made of why you want people to spend time with you, uh, maybe what happened during your plan failure and any other ideas, encouragements that you have. And I thank you ahead of time for that. And finally, remembering our mental and emotional well-being goal, I hope that you will renew your thoughts daily, adopt empowering language that prevents verbal harm to yourself and to others, and make positive mental and emotional choices every single day of your life. And until next time, consider yourself hugged.